0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Great. Parts of the era, guys. 5782. We've got two pesukim that we're going to concentrate on today. The pasuk says, "Vayas Moshe Aaron va kashrusiv Hashem." Some say, "Nasu." zayin, pasuk vav, Moshe Aaron did exactly what Hashem commanded them to do. That's what they did. And in pasuk zayin, Umoshe ben Shmonim Shana va'Aaron ben Shloshu Shmoshem Sh- Shmonim Shana b'Dabron al Paro. Moshe was eighty years old. Aaron was eighty-three years old when they spoke to Paro. So Spano says, obviously, there's no reason to mention that Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron did what HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them to do. Of course they did. That should be expected. Shouldn't it be? Shouldn't this be obvious that you do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu told you to do? The point of Pasuk Bav is to tell us that what they did, they did in a certain Seder, in an order, a normal order. First, Moshe Rabbeinu would speak as the messenger of Hashem, and then Aaron would follow up. With whatever it is, explain to the people everything that they need to do, his expectations, as a maturgamon in such a way. Meaning he went and he explained to them everything that was there. They added nothing, they subtracted nothing from the message, message of Kaddish Bar who wanted it, even though Moshe and Aaron were technically saying it in their own words. And that's what it means. They were perfect in their messengership. They knew what their job was and they did it perfectly. The Al Shikhads, it's even more special when you realize that Aaron is three years older than Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's the end of the Pasuk. We'll get to this quite a bit, a little bit later, right? An older brother should feel jealous that he has to sit there and it tr- it translate what his brother, his younger brother, is saying. You'd think that at some point he'd feel bad being the spokesperson for his brother, and nonetheless he felt nothing of the sort. This is what Hashem wants him to do. He did it exactly as it was and thought nothing else of it. Tzvaron as Rebbe and Hayyim says it as well, and that's a huge lesson in of itself, just right there, to be able to sit there and say, "I will be willing." to make myself almost like a second in command, a fool in comparison to my brother, I'm willing to do it if that's what Hashem wants me to do. Now, the Abarbanel says that Moshe and Aaron were the greatest anavim of all time. Humble people. They both used the word ma. What are we? When referencing themselves, saying, what are we when it comes to Akadosh Baruch Hu? And this was huge for them. Huge. To accept what Hashem wanted them to do without complaint. It's one thing for a Baruch Hu to say, don't worry, you're schus will lead the world. Your skills will help everybody else out there. This is more than that. This is more than that. This is, you're going to be the leaders. You're going to be in charge. You have no choice anymore. Everybody's going to have to listen to you and do what you say. That's Huge. That's absolutely huge. And the Avarbanel says the fact that they asked no questions on that at all, being as humble as they were, is an amazing level. Or Haim says there were two parts to this. First of all, they were able to understand what Hashem wanted them to do. That in and of itself is not easy. What was the job exactly? And they couldn't mess this up. They had to know exactly what to say. They couldn't understand anything as a hoke they had to understand it completely to impart that to the people. And the people had to see that they understood it well. So they had to spend time on this. I know we love to think to ourselves that Moshe and Aaron just got these messages and just delivered them over to Paro. But this was ha- a harrowing experience. If they're off by even a tiny little bit, they could destroy Claudius' role. They had to sit there and sweat their way through it. Literally concentrate and hold their, themselves down. Maybe even have a vein throbbing in the middle of their forehead. Thinking about what God wanted them to do says to they worked as hard as they could to make sure they had the right message to the right people and saying it at the right time, that's what they did. But it also means that they did everything without any thought of a reward. I mean, think about this for a second. Could you do this without being promised Olam And not only that, it's possible because we have this quite often. The greater you are, the harder you fall. If they mess up even one tiny little bit, they could lose their chilek in Olam Haba. And they knew that. They knew it. As After all, Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock instead of speaking to it. You're, you're going to say Kobe. That's right? right? It, 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 spoke. He spoke. He didn't more? speak. And then all of a sudden, this is just the way of the world. You have high expectations of leaders. We have high expectations of our presidents. Right? No matter how incapable they are of whatever they can do over the last 25 years. But we have high expectations. We have high expectations of everyone. And that's harder. That's harder to be able to do. No, keep going. You're good. You're good. No, with, um, that's even harder. Is that what you're going to say? That's even hard. That's even harder to do. Shlomo, to be able to say to somebody, "This is what I want you to do," and for them to repeat it back and say exactly that way is very, very difficult to do. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu did. But there's always nuances. There's always changes. Everything changes when you're up against Paro, and Paro's in the palace. It's not going to go exactly as you expected. And a Cotter's partner who wanted them to, free, to almost like be freelancers doing what they needed to do at that time. Nah. Yeah. What about um, Arun and the building? Yeah. So that also had an important aspect to it, which we're not going to get to this year. But there's a huge aspect to what Aaron had to do by there, and even that was done well. And the Or Haim HaKadush says, that's the concept behind it. They all, it might even be what they said all the time. Why are you doing this, Moshe Why are you involving yourselves in this? And what they said was, Hashem What Hashem told us to do, nasu. that's what they wanted to do. They said, this is what Hashem wants from us. We will do exactly what it was. Okay, the Ksav Silver says, that's why it says they're in ages right afterward. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu did this without any desire for honor because he rejected HaKadush Baruch Hu's offer again and again. But what about Aaron? How do we know that Aaron did this correctly? Moshe said no. Moshe said, I'm not doing it. Send somebody else. But Aaron, how do we know that he was accepting? Maybe he went up there and he's like, Yeah, that's right. I'm the guy. Maybe Aaron went up and said that. And the answer is Moshe was younger than Aaron. If Aaron agreed to do this for his younger brother, then we know he did this L'Shem Shemaim, like we said up above. It's clear he had the right intentions involved. And that's how we know, and that's why these P'suqam are right next to each other, to show us, says the Orachayim HaKadosh, the way the K'sav Sofer says it, that they really did it without any reward in mind, L'Shem Shemaim. That's the amazing part behind it. And then Tziv says, it's Kashar Tziva Hashem, not Kashar Hashem, like it says by Avram Avinu. Because the word Tziva says even things not said. Quite often, you will have words in the Torah that you have to read in between the lines. They figured it all out. Everything they needed, they got, and they figured it out. And that's what it means over here. There were things not said that Moshe and Aaron did. They figured it out on their own. The the uh, Balitosis, I'm sorry, says it's partly a bracha. It's one for this world and the next world. That if you do this properly, then they're promised Olam Hava. But the same way it is in everything, guys, the way we said it before. But if you mess up, you lose everything. You will lose everything. And that's a hard thing to be able to decide. Okay, but I know we've already given technically two answers to this, the Shikh and the way the the Orachim HaKadosh is saying it. Why do we mention the numbers over here? 80 and 83, those are big numbers. I mean, we're talking about 80-year-olds. I want you to think of an 80 and an 83-year-old. There are some unbelievably young-looking 80 and 83-year-olds out there right now. But for them to do this? to lead the people out of Mitzrayim, to bring them in front of Moshe, and bring them in front of Paro, and to do everything there? Now, granted, it could be that the times back then were different from what we have now, but you'd think that it's at least the same. We're very good at letting, uh, allowing people that are older to seem like they're younger. We have 80-year-olds that act like 60-year-olds, right? But still, that seems to be a very extreme age. Is there a reason why it's specifically 80 and 83? And if there is, why? So the Ibn Ezra says... We mention how old they were because their level was so much higher than any other prophet. They were able to speak to a Baruch Hu through something way bigger than anyone else ever get to, ever got to. There were Nevi'im, of course there were Nevi'im, there's been Nevi'im all over the place. But no one was exactly like this. They were able to receive the Torah, no one else. It's through them that everyone was Zohar Olam Everything great in this world. There's no question their age and their vast experience. Aaron's ability to be the leader of the people in Eretz Bistral and all the people, all the things that Moshe Rabbeinu did, whether he was the king of Kush, whether he was that guy who went to jail by Yisro, whether he did whatever he was in Midian, Moshe Rabbeinu had experience and that is so huge when getting a leader. It's huge to be able to have somebody who's that old to be able to be there. That's the idea. Their nevuos allowed them to become greater, better people. That's the first thing. The first thing is with age comes experience. With that experience comes the knowledge that you might need to lead the people. With that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that is the number one quality I want. I want someone who's experienced, who gets it and goes in. This Sforno says... Older men, right, even though they were older men, and you'd think that they were in the time of the resting phase, like, they're ready to go to sleep, you know what I'm saying? Like, these these are the times when they're going to, you know, just retire and go away. They got up with Zresus. They did this with running into Paro's palace. There was no waiting and saying, like, you know, I'll do it a little bit later. They... They didn't take it easy. They didn't relax. They literally went right in, even at the age of 80 and 80-30, 83, they did it with quickness, alacrity, they were ready to do it. How I? we should all be that way. When we're 80, 83 years old, to be able to do it like that. Torah says, that's why Chazal says, samach that if you learn Torah when you're younger, continue to learn Torah when you're older, because look at what Moshe and Aaron accomplished at the age of 80 and 83. Look what they were able to do. They brought the Jews out of Mitzrayim, they led them in the Middiport, they gave them the Torah at Har Sinai, At the age of 80 and 83, don't think to yourself, at the age of 80, I'm going to retire. And I'll, I'll retire, I'll do whatever, I'll just like chill out, I'll just sit on a golf course every day all day long. That's not the time. You have vast experience, you can do so much more. Do more, work harder, do something else, that's what it means over there. Does the Naim Torah says that's obviously it. People retire at the age of 60, 70, 75, and they spend the rest of their lives doing whatever it was. Moshe and Aaron should have done such a thing, and they didn't. Can you imagine if they would have said No. We wouldn't have gotten the Torah. We wouldn't have left Mitzrayim. It would have been horrible. Moshe and Aron made the right decision. And it's something to remember as soon as you get to that age. It's never about retirement. My wife kept, keeps telling me, she tells me, I, I, have an, I, I have an IRA. Like what happens? Like a Roth IRA for what happens when I retire and whatever and stuff like that. My plan, if everything should go well, is that by that time of retirement, I will then be able to do things without having to get paid for them. That would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. If everything works out well, it's not like I'm gonna sit down and be like, all right, I'm gonna open up a newspaper now. I don't even know if newspapers are gonna exist when I'm gonna retire, probably not. I'm gonna be able to sit there and do what? I don't drink coffee, right? I, I don't read newspapers. What am I gonna do? Like. I think I just want to continue, but I'll be able to do it on my clock and not in somebody else's. That'll be amazing. That's like the best thing. And to be able to help others in a way that they need to be without anything else. That's the way it should be. And that's how I think what the Aznayim Latour is saying, that it should be in such a way. Now, the Meshachach says that the reason why he chose older people, 80 and 83, and this is our third answer so far, is because they can be trusted. They know that they're closer to death them being born. So they're not willing to lie or trick or steal in order to get to something great. Moshe Rabbeinu did not have to do this. For those who say that Moshe was a charlatan, he was a liar. He just got up there and he fooled the people and he made them think they saw Mat Torah. He had some tricks up his sleeve and he was able to pull out Kriyas Yamsuf and pull up de Deakinim and make a staff into a snake. And he was just a big liar. At the age of 80, you're not thinking that way. People don't do that. You have a 30-year-old getting up there. Then, yeah, a 30-year-old is thinking, like, how can I get more out of this? But an 80-year-old, what does he care? He could just retire and he doesn't have to worry about anything. That's the concept, says the Meshachah. Yeah, Dave. I mean, there's still a motive for legacy in Aaron and his children. I mean, he, he did. 100%. I'm not saying this is, it's not like an 80-year-old has never lied. Of course, there's no question, right? Those liars, those 80-year-old liars, you know, they're, they're, yeah, that's that. It's, it's, it's more, it's more like these types of people with their. I can't let that get on there. You realize that, right? <laughs> so either way, it's not that. It's not that. It's that there's a nation that had personalities that like Korach the sons of Aliyev, Shoal ben Ekanan is everybody else, HaKadosh Bar, who needed someone who was older, who wouldn't look like a liar, so that when people came up and accused him of lying, of doing something wrong, he could say right back to them, absolutely not, that never happened, that was never there. Barbanel says, that's the right thing to do. You don't send young people to do an experienced person's job. You can't. If somebody's going to go to Paro, choose the right people. Choose the person who's been through this before. <laughs> choose somebody good. Says the Barbanel, this should be done by Zakenim. Zakenim, a person who is Kone Chochma, who has acquired Chochma for themselves and becomes something great. Sefer Shari Aaron says, it's not what you would think. Shari Yushalayim, I'm sorry. He said, that's not what you'd think. They think that only young people can affect change. They can make things happen. But an older person, what could he possibly do? Says the Torah, no, you don't understand. There was an 80-year-old and an 83-year-old that literally changed the face of the planet. They changed everything. They did it themselves. The Talioro says the Chassam Sofer used to come to a certain v- vacation town every year. He used to stay by a non-Jew. He by a non-Jew, this non-Jewish inn, and he would stay there, and he would be on his vacation town, whatever it was. It was like up in the mountains. It was good air or whatever. It was, so he stayed there. One time he arrived, so there was a Jewish man that saw him, and he said, Rebbe, you have to stay by me. He had a house in this vacation. And he said, you have to stay by me. Well, you're staying by a non-Jew. Stay, stay by me. It'll be much better. I'll make sure that everything's taken care of. I have an apartment for you to use. Everything will be there. And the Chassam Sofer agreed. He said, fine, I'll go ahead and do it. Soon, rumors were spreading all around the town that the Chassam Sofer wasn't as great as he said he was. Everybody was hearing these rumors. The Chassam Sofer, is a faker. The guy's a faker. The man is a total faker. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. He could, the Chassam Sofer heard it. He met the servant of the guy, and he heard that it was the guy, the Jew, who let him stay in his apartment, right? The balabas, who said that the Chassam Sofer was a faker. So he went to the guy's servant. He said, what happened? The servant said, I, I can't say. I'm not allowed to say. You got to talk to him directly. So the Chassam Sofer went to the Rav of the town. There was a Rav in the town's around. He went to the Rav of the town and he said, I'm not sure what happened, but I want to call him to a Din Torah. He's been saying rumors about me. I, I substantiated that he's saying rumors. I don't know what he's saying exactly. He's telling me, he's saying that I'm a faker. I want to call him to a Din Torah to see what he's saying. So the guy, the Rav, called in the man and the man came in and right in front of the Chassam Sofer, the man said, you are a faker because I saw you on Shabbos morning. I watched you in your room. You ate a meal and you didn't make Kiddush. Who eats a meal on Shabbos morning without making Kiddush? So the Chassam Sofer had an interesting minute. This is a minute from his father's. That he would make Kiddush on bread on Shabbos morning. After he davan shak. He davan was a vasikin. And then afterward he made Kiddush on bread. He'd have Kiddush, but it was on bread itself. And later on when he had Kiddush in the or when he had Shabbos meal in the afternoon, his lunch, so to speak, he made Kiddush on wine at the lunch meal. So he didn't in the morning, he did it a little bit later on. That was his minig It's a minic that he had from his father, that he got from his grandfather, it was Hungarian minic. I don't know if anybody has this minic anymore, right? To have two meals and one with, without, with Kiddush on the bread and one Kiddush, whatever. But that's what it was. So the Chassam Sofer couldn't understand it. He said, what could he have possibly done to have deserved for Lush and Hara to be said about him falsely? I mean, he knows this guy obviously made a huge mistake and was going around saying lush and horror about him for no reason whatsoever. But he looked at himself, which everybody should do, and said, Why did these rumors go out about me? What did I do wrong to deserve for me to be called a faker? How could that be? It's got to, Yes, the guy did it, but it's something I must have deserved something. I have to have deserved this kind of punishment. What could I have done? So he said, maybe it's because I stayed by a Jew that's an Aretz, and I should have stayed by the non-Jew because the non-Jew, right, maybe feels bad. But he said that can't be it. That can't be why he thought. Like maybe it was something like that, but he, it's not that. And then he realized it's to teach him a lesson. It's not because of something he did. It taught him a lesson. The Chassam Sofer always worried that all it took was a bad leader a leader that sinned, and then everybody would follow along with him. If you have one guy, let's say, who's a rabbi, and that rabbi decided to go, remember, the times of the Chassam Sofer were very harrowing times with the reform movement, and that rabbi decided that the reform movement was the right way to go, and started changing the surah of davening, and started changing what Chil Shabbos is. If you have one rabbi who goes away, he's going to bring an entire Kehillah with him. And the Chassam Sofer was worried. He was so strong. Did you know the Chassam Sofer refused? He had an isra. He made sure nobody would bring a clock into a shoal. Why? Because the reform movement brought clocks into shoals. And he said, I will not have clocks in my shoal. Because that's khadash Asr Minatoir, he would say. Anything new, Asr Minatoir. If it wasn't done, don't do it. He he was fighting a battle, an uphill battle against the reform movement, which was gaining traction everywhere, and the Enlightenment movement, which was gaining traction everywhere, and he had to fight and fight and fight. Said the Khsam Sofer, he always worried that the Jews were just gonna follow one big leader. So he would go to different rabbis and different leaders and tell them, Don't do this, don't do this, don't do and he would go around and he realized he made a big mistake. Jews were brazen. Jews were <laughs> our brazen. They're willing to fight with anybody at any time. He was the rug of a massive city, Pressburg. He was the Roshiva of the biggest yeshiva in Europe. He had written tons of sfarim. Seven volumes on Chomesh, three volumes on shas, three volumes on, Sh- on Shulchan Arach. He had three volumes. He had over thousands of chuvas that he'd answered in his childhood chuvas. He wrote down his drashos. He was in the Hungarian parliament. This man, he, there wasn't time for him to breathe, let alone sleep. The Sofer. He was one of the greatest gedol, He accepted Rosh Bahag of his generation The Rosh Gedola of his generation And yet still A Jew saw him do one thing Which shouldn't even been a problem And he immediately went around Saying he's a faker Immediately Did not take anything else into account Just went there Because that's what Jews are like Says the Chesam If a rabbi tries going off His whole Kehillah will stone him Before anything happens He's not worried anymore. He's not worried that one rabbi will take an entire keelah with him. It's the people that are really brazen. They can't stand to see something. That are don't have to worry about whatsoever. They'll immediately approach us and take him down. Unfortunately, it's just the reality of life. He's not saying you should. He's saying that's what happens. So he was always worried that something bad would happen. He said, I'm not worried anymore. It's not going to happen because I see what happened to me. And if this is what happened to me, I know that nobody's going to survive. If they go around and start doing this, it'll never happen. See, it's so funny. I've heard of situations where there have been pastors in different churches, whatever it is, that all of a sudden decided the Jews are the ones. And they all became Noahites. All the people followed him. I've heard that before. But if you, I, I, I really don't know. And I, I haven't done crazy amounts of research on this. And maybe these days are different from what it was 300 years ago. But have you ever heard of a rabbi deciding all of a sudden we're going to go conservative like an orthodox soul turning conservative an orthodox soul turning reform and or an orthodox soul turning christian and turning themselves around completely you have <laughs> it might be, might be a little it might be the other way I don't know it might be the other way it might be the other way in that case because at least they, they built him a mechisa at, at least they have something I don't know but yeah I guess it can happen it's just so much harder to be able to go through but that's what the Chassam Sofer was saying it's a crazy thing okay number four our fourth answer why it mentions their ages the Medrash Shmuel and the Medrash Gadol say there are certain tfilos that are only answered after 80 years. Now, maybe you guys remember a Gemaran Brachos. The Gemar Brachos says that if you have a dream, it might take twenty-two years for your dream to come true. I don't know if you've heard that. Twenty-two years. You have to wait for twenty-two years because Yosef Atzadek. At Yosef Azadik at had the dream that they were gonna bow down to him. It took twenty-two years for that to come true. Says the Shmuel, it might take 80 years for tefillahs to be answered. And they learn it from this passage, that he was 80 years old when he left Mitzrayim. Apparently, there was a tefillah that maybe Yochavid made that my child should bring Bnei Yisrael to of Mitzrayim. It happened 80 years later. 80 years. So if something happens, you daven for something, and you say, like, it didn't happen. Wait 80 years and then tell me that it didn't happen. Wait 80 years and see if it happens before that point. That's the idea behind it. We're Victor Miller. Now, I'm going to pause this for a second and time out. I have always learned from every one of my rabbis that the idea of a person living ad maya estrim up until 120 years is a big fake. It's not real. There's no such thing as a person living up until 120. You can live to 150. You can live to 180. There's no such thing. And the Pusik that they all get it from is at the end of Parshish Barathees where it says, "The hayu yamav Their days will be 120 years, which is clearly referring to how long Noah has to build the Teva. It's 120 years for them to build the Teva until the Mabol comes. That's how Rashi says it. It's clear as day. And it can't be there that 120 years means that everybody's going to live to 120 because Noach right then lived to 950 right I mean Shem lived to 600 Avram lived to 175 Yitzchak lived to 180 Yaakov lived to 147 Amram lived to 137 Kahus lived to 137 we have all these people living these unbelievably long lives Aaron lived to 123 Miriam lived to 126 so Moshe lived to 120 that's true but Vahayu Yom of Me'ev Ashram Shana. I never understood as being an actual 120 yeah wasn't there Not that we know of. Who? I, forget, I, forget. I mean, Rev Keduri was like the oldest rub that everybody so talks so about with 109. 109. 109. 109. What? 109. Baba Sali was, I mean, not young. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. like 1984 is when he, 1983 is when he passed away. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. Maybe. But either way, it's clear. But I will tell you, the one source that you have for this, if somebody asks you, why, are you, why do we say Ad Mev Estram Shana? Where do we get that from? Who says that's a real thing? Is Rev. Victor Miller. But Miller says it in five places that I've counted. Five places. Five different places. And he says it in this Pusuk. That this is setting up Mo- HaKadosh Baruch's plan in Sefer Beratius. Hashem in Sefer Beratius and Perik Vav Pusuk Gimel said, there would, the life of man will be 120 years. Again, I told you from the simple reading of the Pusuk, that's not what it means. But he says, man will now live till the age of 120. 120. 120. And that didn't happen yet. It was waiting until now, and it was accomplished by Moshe Rabbeinu. After Moshe Rabbeinu, people would not get past 120. There might be individuals, individuals here and there, supposedly somebody just passed away, I don't know if anybody saw it, at the age of 125. That's what they claim. Yeah, it's possible. Individuals could do it, but normal people will not get past 120. Now, what this means is, is he was created to work on the Dora Midbor. He was 80 now. The Dora Midbor was always meant to be in the Midbor for 40 years. Think about this, says... It's brilliant, Sir Victor Miller. If they really weren't meant to be in the Midbar for 40 years, and the Meraglim caused them to be there for 40 years, if that's not what happened, right, why did they make a Mishkan that was temporary, and as soon as they got to Eretz Yisrael, they immediately built a permanent place for the Mishkan? That doesn't make any sense, why would you do it for only like three years? You spent an exorbitant amount of money for what? For, for a couple months? Why would you do that? It took them more months to build it than if they would have gone straight to Eretz Yisrael. It was always meant to the Ravigdam Miller, and this is a they were always meant to be in the midbar for 40 years. The question was would they get the 40 years in the midbar? Because they deserve it and something good would happen. And maybe somebody would say right before they go in, they're just like, Moshe, we need to learn more before we go to Eretz Yisrael. Moshe's like, oh, good idea. Let's learn for another 39 years and then we'll enter Eretz Yisrael. it would happen in a bad way that the maratham would happen and they'd be punished and they wouldn't be able to go to Eretz Which one would be? What ended up happening was the Meraglim. But says of Victor Miller, it was always meant to be 40 years. Moshe Rabbeinu was always meant to die at the age of 120. He was always, and that starts from this plastic at the age of 80, and that's that. That is a huge khidish. two huge Kiddushim. Number one, that the 40 years in the bore was always meant to happen, even without the Meraglim. And number two, that 120 years is the right amount. Is the right amount. So that sign that you see, right, on the, on, I think it's on the, where is it? That highway that led to the Midwest Conference Center, about the 290. You look on the side of the highway, and it said, "The first person to live to 150 is alive today." Right? So save for that, whatever it is, it's not true. <laughs> Can't get past 120. There will be some individuals that get past it, but we're never going to get past 120. According to Victor Miller. Again, he's the only one. I haven't seen anybody else say it, but he's the only one. But you will never get past 120. An individual, maybe some weird woman in China. It's possible. Somebody will be able to make it. But normally, you won't be able to do it. That's a crazy shot. Okay, number, number six. Rick Schwab says the best line. He says, you know why he mentions their names? Because you know what happened 80 years ago? Moshe Rabinu went into Paro. And Paro's like, oh my gosh, how old are you? Like by Yako Lavinu. And Moshe's like, I'm 80 years old. Paro's like, what happened 80 years ago? And he's like, all right. 80 years ago, I made the decree that every child that's born should be thrown in the Nile River. I killed hundreds of thousands of children in order to destroy the leader. And guess what? Moshe's alive today. My decree meant nothing. The 80 years was muster to paro. He looked at him and he said, oh my gosh, I made that decree. I killed all those children for nothing, for nothing. I, I did it for nothing. 83? Because 83 years ago, the decision was made that, not only that, that the, the midwives would kill all the babies. Do you guys remember who the midwives were? Who were the midwives? Shifran who were? Yocheved and Miriam. Yocheved was pregnant at the time. The midwife that Paro got to be able to kill the babies, not only let the babies live, she had a baby. She was pregnant and had a baby at that time. Not only did Paro's decree not work, it didn't work on the person he was talking to. So Paro heard this, 83 and 80, and looked at himself and said, those decrees that were made back then did nothing. Did absolutely nothing. It was muster right to his face like a punch in his face. When he heard 1883, he realized, oh my gosh, my own decrees, nothing worked. Nothing worked. Dave? Is that the same paro? It's a good question. If it wasn't, it meant the decrees that were made by the original paro. If we go with the Maimar Chazal, the paro lived for a very, very long time. Okay, whatever. That's what Chazal say. If we go with the Egyptologists who say, no, there were many paros, then it means whatever the pharaoh that time made, that decree, right? That decree did not work. And although it worked for 80 years, it kept them in slavery for 80 years, that would have happened anyway. Right. nothing. the whole reason why I brought up a Kiddush Baruch Hu set in the first place. and said all the people that went out we were trying to kill you, you all along." Correct. So Correct. So the likelihood is that not only Dustin and Aviram are gone, but the paro right. that was there. But Yaka Melech HaDash there's something there, but it's unbelievable. Atz HaShem Yisakum. Rabos Makshavos Blavish we say every morning. Atz HaShem Yisakum. No matter what, a Kiddush Baruch Hu's going to let it be. Now, Tom Bidas says it's clear that it's normal for people in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu to live 70 or 80 years. How do we know that? Well, this is an interesting one. Did you know that Moshe Rabbeinu was the author of the Tehillim from Tzadi to Kuf? Did you know that? Tzadi to Kuf was all written by Moshe Rabbeinu. He wrote all of them. It starts with La Mosha, that's Tzadi. And it goes on to be Noam, right? He Noam HaShem Elkeinu, Aleinu, is Elyon, all the, what's it called, all the Mizmor as we stand Friday night, and Mizmor L'Soda is Mizmor Kuf. He wrote all of them. Now, did he write all of them exactly and David Melech just copied them down, or did David Melech adapt them? We don't know. But one of the things he says in Mizmor Tzadi is, Yemesh no Seinubahem Shivim Shana. The amount of years that we have in this world are 70 years. And if you're super strong, how long are you going to live till? How long? 80. 80. Shmonim Shana. 80. Moshe Rabbeinu is the author of that. He's 80 at the time and he lives another 40 years. So this is Tam Rav Sternbach points out that even in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, apparently 70 and 80 were the normal lives. It was Moshe Rabbeinu that wrote that. And therefore, it was a crazy thing that he was living to 120 even then. It was a crazy thing. Now, as a timeout, there are others that say that Dov Melch adapted that. Moshe Rabbeinu may have written, shana, vim begvuros shana. And Shana, and Melech adapted to his times or Shivim and Shmonim. That's possible. We don't know. But that's how he learns it over here. Because they did this, that's why we mention their names right over here. There's a pun of over here, which is beautiful. You can look at it yourself. Okay, there's a pun Yafos. The Hstam Sofer says 80 and 83. What's a, what's uh, you kids can add? 80 plus 83 is? 163. I'm very proud of you, son. Exactly. You got this. No, no, no. You have this. 163. The Gematria of 163 is etzpa. It's hinting to the etzpa elohim that would be hinted to by the makos. That's the word that represented the makos. It's also the mili of the name Aleph, hey, vav, hey. Now, guys, I know, I realize that the name of a Baruch is usually Yud, K, Vav, K, or Aleph, hey, Yud, and hey, right? It's not Aleph, hey, and then Vav, and hey. We don't normally see that word. The Khsam Sofer says it, and if the Khsam Sofer says it, I'm assuming it's a real name, real name with a capital N. I assume that. He says the Melee of Aleph. He with a Yud, Vav with a Yud, Vav Yud Vav. And He, hey Yud, is the gematria of 163. And it comes from the Pusach, the first letters of Es HaShamayim Ve'es HaAretz. He calls that, that that's the name that's used to create the world. I, I've never heard it before, but that's what he says is used to create the world. Miriam was 86 at that time, which is the same gematria as Elohim. So their ages together, Aaron, Moshe, and Miriam... 80, 83, and 86. All right, Shlomo, you can do this. What is this? 80, 83, and 86. You got 163 plus 86. You can do this. I'll give it to you now. <laughs> there you go. 249. 249 is the gematria of etzba elokin. The the etz fal- and that's where they all come from. That's an amazing idea over here. There is another thing, the Malaya Omer says, the toupees stand for Pakot Pakaditi. The Chhsam Sofer in Torres Moshe gives another thing that he says regarding the puzzle that we spoke about for regarding a person's birthday. That he goes into the question of whether it's a birthday or not on that day. And there's a Chhsam Sofer above that we already mentioned over here. But I'm going to add on something which I think is 100% true, which has always been an idea of mine. I always thought, that the reason why we mentioned agent anybody who's been in my sheer knows this from what we go through in Navi, says the things we do to gain perfection are not things that people know about. Moshe Rabbeinu lived a life of complete solitude. Nobody knew who he was. No one knew until the age of 80. No one had any clue who this person was. Yisro had glimpses into it. Tzipora probably had an idea. But no one had any clue. And this allowed him to be the most perfect person that he possibly could be. Because that's what a Nuvi is. The true person to lead Kla Yisrael, which is going to include Mashiach in the future, is not going to be, again, this is my opinion, it could be anything, It's not going to be a Ravkhan Knievsky who's been in the limelight the entire time. It's going to be someone who is not in the limelight, who had nothing to do with anything, who all of a sudden pops out of nowhere, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's shining like this bright light. This person who worked on himself and worked on himself, worked on himself to become the person. And yet he's still normal. He's still married. He still has children. He's still involved in things. He's just somebody that you never expected. That's the idea behind it. The Torah purposely tells us nothing about Moshe Rabbeinu until he turns 80 and says, here's Moshe. Look at this guy. Look at what he did without any fanfare. Nobody knew about anything he did up until this point. And that's something is a trait that cannot be taken lightly. It's why Shaul HaMelech became king, and therefore it's also why Esther was able to marry a person like Ahasuerus and survive. It's what allows B'nai Yisrael to be amazing. Again, we live in a world, it's 2021, where every Jew has to show something off. It is crazy what Miami is going to look like in three weeks. We all know that. We absolutely know that. It's crazy how awesome our cars are. I have an like I think it's like an auto show that happens here on Friday afternoons right before Shabbos between the shoals that are around here, right? There's some crazy cars. Like every week, my son can tell you, he will walk around and just be like, oh my gosh, that's a $750,000 car, right? That's, it's some, there's some crazy stuff here. And yeah, that, that's sort of how we are. But Sneas should not be taken lightly. It can't be taken lightly. It's something that everybody needs to work on and it's something that's clear that Moshe Rabbeinu had more than anyone else and allowed him to become the person that he was. I've also said this straight. Something that I've noticed in Tanakh is that to become a Navi usually takes a long time. Let's think for a second. Adam aside. And Cain aside, who were super young when they got their Nebuahs because they were, I don't even know what to say, a day old, whatever it was. Let's keep them aside for a second. Noach did not have a Nebuah until he was 480. And even if you tell me, but he lived 900 years, still it was halfway through his life when he got his first Nebuah. Avram got his first Nebuah at the age of 70 or 75, depending on the Rishon. 70 or 75. Now granted, again, he lived to 175, but that's about halfway through his life. Yitzchak did not receive an avuah until probably 78. It depends on how old he was, etc., but probably 78. Yaakov, you know, probably by the dream. The dream was at the age of 77. He was 77 years old when he saw the dream, right, of the, the ladder leading up to Shemayim, etc. Our Moshe Rabbeinu was 79. Yoshua was probably 81 possibly, if he was king for 28 years and he only got it then, 81 years old when he got his very first Navoa. We do not see people getting nivuas at a young age with the exception, 77, we have the, with the exception of two people. Shmuel Hanavi, is the classic example. Everybody mentions Shmuel and Avi. And I don't know how old Shmuel and Avi was at the time. The Psukim make him sound like he's super young, but the Psukim also makes Shoalamelech sound like he's super young and he was probably 65 years old. Everybody knows Shoalamelech's son, Ish boshes that became king, was his fourth oldest son. He had three sons and then Ish boshes Ish was 41 when Shoalamelech died. How many years was Shoalamelech king for? Three. Two years, maybe three. Two years altogether. Now think, he had a kid who was 41 and it wasn't his oldest kid. How old was Sholomelech? He's probably 65 when he became king. Somewhere around 65. And yet he sounds like a nar. So does it sound like he's older than and Shmuel Avi Shmuel died at the age of 52. Sholomelech met him when he was over 60. But, so I can't tell you when it says that Shmuel Neve received his nevuah, and he thought Ailey was in the other one, he kept going to Ailey. He could have been 40 at the time. I have no idea. There are no actual ages mentioned. We don't know. It's possibly older, so, But nonetheless, let's say it was 40. Let's say it was 20. That's an exception. Shmuel Nevi was an exception, maybe because Claudius Yisrael needed it at the time. Yirmi Yahu is the other example they give. Yirmi Yehoah was super young. and The Puzzle says this straight out. He was a kid when he got Nevoah for the very first time. But again, it was for the needs of the nation because of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, which was imminent, and the only shliach that Hashem was going to give was Yirmi. Yeah, there was Chulda, and yes, there was Tzfaniah, and there was also Yecheskel, but nobody was like Yirmi. Yirmi was the perfect person to do it, and he was the youngest. Other than that, who in the world got a nivu at a young age? Who got it? It was a constant Navi. A Navi that had nivu constantly. It just didn't happen. This is a huge idea, a huge idea. We have no idea how old the shoftim were. We have no idea whether their messages were, were considered lower forms of Ruach HaKodesh. It, it, it's a stranger thing, but I think the idea behind it is don't expect that everything should happen when you're super young. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't get his first nevuah until the age of 79, keep that in your head, 79, he was two-thirds of the way done with his life that's when he got his first nevuah. means you have to work your way up there. It doesn't happen so easily. It's, you have to build your way and build your way and build your way up until you can get something like that. I'm going to end with this, everybody. Uh, there is, yeah, I, I'm going to skip the Yagravani. You want to see the Yagravani? Just look at it inside. It's a little crazy one. I'm not, I'm not so sure what to do with it. But that's that. There's a chsam sofer in chuvis, chilek vavsim in chavtes. That says there's a bit of an issue with Moshe Rabbeinu's years, how old he was. How old did we say he was at the time when he met Paro for the very first time? 80, right? Okay, he met Paro for the very first time, according to Moshe Meforshim, on Erev Pesach. It was Pesach, one year before B'nai Yisrael would leave Mitzrayim. If he was 80 at the time, then how old was he the next year? 81, very good. 80 plus one is 81. Okay, no, it's not a trick question. How many years were they in the Midbar for? 40. 40. 81 plus 40 is? 121. So why does Moshe Rabbeinu himself say, I am 120 years old today? What does that mean? His birthday was when? We always know. We know when he died, right? He died on He died on Zion Adr. So if he died on his birthday, it was what? but that means he was 121 years old. He was not 120. What did you say, Dave? So there is an answer like that. He says that you're in the 80th year. When he said, when the Pusik says he's 80, it means he's in his 80th year. He's really 79. But then when it says he's 120, it means he was actually 120, not in his 120th year. So that's weird, right? That's a strange thing to say. So the Ksamsofer Sofer does say it. He just says it's a very, very strange thing to say. It seems inconsistent. The Shamsulver says, I have no doubt. The Pussig is telling us the truth. He was 80 at the time, which means he turned 80 on Zion other, and then he was 80. That means he was 81 when he left Mitzrayim, because Zion other, which would have been around the time that Makas Arba happened, according to some Forsham, right? He would have been 81, and then afterward left right then, but we have a real problem with him saying he was 120, Maybe he unless it up. means... Unless it means, as Dave just said, 80th year, 81st year, and 120 is dafka 120. It's just strange. He should have been 121. Should have been... Unless you say, maybe it's the day before, but it should have been the 40th year, which means he already passed that year. He should be 122, really, at this time. It's a major, major issue, says Hussam Silver, just to understand Pshat and the Psukim. Just to understand what's going on here. We don't have an exact answer, right? But either way, it's an unbelievable idea to wonder what exactly are these Psukim trying to tell us? We gave all together... 13 answers as to how, why the I has to mention that he's 80 and 83 and a possible question at the end. Not a huge kasha, but a, ca- a question, a ha'ara. Just what does it mean that he was 80 and 120 if Zion Udder was his birthday? Shkai, everybody. Yeah. Have a great Shabbos.